Well, good morning. If you do have a Bible with you, if you turn to the Gospel of Luke, we are in Luke chapter 22. Luke 22, I've been uh, preaching through the book of Luke. We're nearing the end. Jesus is uh, very close to the cross now. Just a few hours from the cross. Luke chapter 22, we'll be reading verses 47 all the way through verse 62. Luke 22, verse 47 through 62. Let's Let's pray before we read. Well, Father, we just come before you now in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Father, we believe that in Jesus we have an eternal hope that does not fade away. Lord, it's never going to be tarnished or diminished or corrupted in any way. It's there in Christ. It's a a done deal. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Father, that through the trials and the, the, the hardships of this life that that hope remains. A sure and steady hope for the soul, Lord. Uh, And it's tied to our Savior Jesus. We thank you, Father, for this hope. And it's in light of this future hope that we gather and rejoice, Father, today. And, uh, Father, seek to make disciples today of all nations. And, uh, Father, we just look to you now as we open your word and just look to you for help. Father, we acknowledge our weakness, that we are weak human beings, very, very frail Uh, Lord, here today, gone tomorrow, lives as a vapor before you. And uh, Father, we are weak. We are the needy ones. You are not needy. We don't come to bring something to you that you need. We need help today. Father, we come empty. We ask that you would fill us. We ask that you would fill us through your word, through this portion of your word. And we thank you for it. Lord, I especially ask just for help with my voice. My voice feels weak uh, today. So I thank you for your grace, even there, Father, with that need. We thank you for this now in the name of Jesus. Amen. When Jesus was still speaking, there came a crowd. And the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. And Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. And then they seized Jesus and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. And then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, this man also was with them. But he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with them, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Amen. Have you, have you ever been hurt by a close friend before? You, you maybe shared something with a friend in confidence and Your friend then went out and shared it with all of your friends. Or a friend maybe promised to help you with something or or just promised to to be there for you at some point in your life and and then bailed on you and left you hanging. Or maybe a friend just rejected you completely for some reason. Just cut you off. No more relationship at all. 
You know, there's something very, very painful about being hurt by a friend, someone you love and trust. David said in Psalm 55, it's not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it, but it's you, my familiar friend. And one person who knows very well what it feels like to be hurt by a friend is Christ. It happened right here. Jesus, here in this passage, he's, he's finally taken into custody by his enemies. The, the Jewish religious leaders, they've been hunting Jesus for chapters now here in this book, seeking a way to arrest him. And his enemies finally take him into custody here. And Jesus will now remain in their custody until he dies less than 24 hours away now. But surprisingly, here in this passage, it's not Jesus' enemies that do the damage. It's his friends. There's an old English proverb that says, With friends like these, who needs enemies? And that rings true with the friends of Jesus here. We see a couple of friends here in this passage, and the first is a friend who betrays. In the passage before this, Jesus was, Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, very, very dark night of the soul for Jesus, late at night in the garden. It was dark there in the garden. He was essentially alone. His, his disciples were there, but every time Jesus asked them to pray with him, they fell asleep, so essentially alone. And Jesus was in agony, Luke said there in the garden as he prayed, his, his sweat like great drops of blood as he saw his death approaching. And at the start of this passage, Jesus and his men are still in that garden. Jesus just told his disciples once again to pray. And Luke now says in verse 47 that while Jesus was speaking, there came a crowd. And Luke says later it was a crowd of Jewish chief priests and officers of the temple and, and elders. John 18 says there were also soldiers there. So, so maybe Roman soldiers. And John says there they were carrying lanterns, torches, and weapons. And Luke says in verse 47 that the man named Judas was leading this crowd. Earlier in this chapter... Judas, one of the 12 original disciples, he made a, a, a pact with the Jewish religious leaders to betray Jesus to them. We, we don't know exactly why Judas wanted to betray Jesus to them. Money was obviously one reason. The Jewish religious leaders, they offered Judas 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus, and, and he took the deal. But I don't think money was the only reason no, I think, I think Judas, I think he was also just probably very disappointed with Jesus. Uh, I, think, I think Judas was probably expecting Jesus to be a very different type of Messiah than he was. I think Judas was expecting Jesus to be, to be a conquering Messiah. To reveal himself at some point to Israel in great power and glory and conquer the Romans who were in control of Israel at this time and usher in this end time age of peace for the people of Israel. That was the type of Messiah that most of the Jews at this time were expecting. A conquering Messiah. And Jesus did come to earth to conquer. He, he just didn't come to earth to conquer in that manner. He didn't come to earth to, to, to conquer in great power. Jesus came to earth to conquer in, in great weakness on the cross. And, and at some point along the lines, I think it had become crystal clear to Judas that Jesus was not planning to conquer the way he'd expected. Jesus was walking around Israel in dusty sandals owning nothing much more than just the clothes on his back, no place to lay his head at night, talking repeatedly about his future death. And when Jesus finally entered the great city of Jerusalem, this was his moment. He wasn't riding on the back of some magnificent white steed surrounded by his conquering armies. He was riding on the back of a donkey surrounded by a very ragtag band of disciples. And I, I don't think that was 
the type of Messiah Judas expected. Yeah, that, that, was, that was not what Judas originally signed up for when he became a disciple. I, I think Judas was probably very disappointed with Jesus. And all of the disciples were probably struggling with that, with that to some degree. I don't think any of these guys, when, when they signed on as disciples, thought, I don't think they thought that Jesus might really suffer and die. I don't think that they thought they might actually suffer and die. All of the disciples' minds were probably reeling a little bit at this time. Even the 11 who were still with Jesus here, they, they believe Jesus is the Messiah. But man, so much talk from this guy about his death. And now here he is in this garden in agony. He's in great distress, trembling in the garden. His clothes soaked with a bloody sweat. The Messiah? think they're all probably wrestling with the type of Messiah here that, that Jesus is. And man, when you factor all of that in, what Judas did here, his decision to betray Jesus, and I can understand it to some degree. I think all these men We're probably disappointed with Jesus on some level. And Judas, he just decided to act on his disappointment. Judas, now experiencing hardship with Christ, experiencing trials and and pains and difficulties with Christ, and now staring into the very real possibility that he would soon suffer greatly and, and maybe even die with Christ, Judas made a calculated decision to get out while the getting was still good. And here he is now, betraying Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Man, it... It's hard to know exactly what this betrayal felt like to Jesus. You know, Jesus has known all along that Judas would do it. John 6.64 says that Jesus knew from the beginning who would betray him. But I think, I think we tend to think that because Jesus knew Judas would do it, and because Jesus is God and nothing hurts God, well, this betrayal didn't hurt Jesus at all, but I think it did. I think it hurt him a lot. Because Jesus is also human. Fully God, yes, but he's also fully human. And as a man here on this earth, Jesus experienced deeply every human emotion, including the deep pain right here of a friend's betrayal. And Judas was a friend of Jesus. A close friend. Jesus brought Judas into his inner circle of disciples, his inner circle of friends. And for three years now, Jesus has walked with Judas and talked with Judas and and lived with Judas. Jesus is, is broken bread around the table on multiple occasions with Judas, which in this culture was a sign of deep, deep friendship. Jesus entrusted Judas with the privilege of going out with the other disciples two by two to minister in towns around Israel. Judas, he he was a very close friend of Jesus. And now he betrays Jesus. And listen, it's not just that Judas betrays Jesus here. It's how Judas betrays Jesus. You look at verse 47 again, Judas drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? (laughs) It's amazing you stop and think about it. Matthew 26 says that the kiss was a sign from Judas to indicate to this hostile crowd here in this dark garden who Jesus was exactly. Kiss in this culture was a common form of greeting, but it wasn't just a greeting. It was a symbol of friendship. It was a symbol of love. 
You know, a kiss in our culture, man, it, it, it also typically means love. What's in a kiss, as people today might say? Well, typically there's some type of love in a kiss. The English poet Robert Herrick, he said that a kiss is the sure, sweet cement, glue, and lime of love. A kiss is one of the, it's one of the tenderest expressions of, of love. The, the kiss, kiss of a husband and wife after a long time apart. Or the kiss of an older married couple in their, their golden years. Or the, man, the soft kiss of a father with his, with his baby daughter at night. When I kiss my two-year-old daughter Sophia at night now, she says, Daddy, your beard certs me. <laughs> Not hurts me. Certs me. <laughs> so, to give Sophia that soft kiss now, I must stick my lips out a little further than I used to, <laughs> which looks very, very funny, but it works. And it is an expression of my love for Sophia. A kiss, a kiss means love. That was the case here in this culture, and Judas now betrays Jesus with a kiss, turning this symbol of love into a symbol of treachery, not a kiss of love, but essentially a kiss of death. Man, never know exactly what that felt like to Jesus, but as a man, Jesus, as, as, as a flesh and blood human being, that had to hurt the deep wound of a very close friend. Mike McKinley, in his book Passion, he says that this would have been like a close friend of yours hugging you, and while his or her arms are still around you, sliding a knife between your shoulder blades. And man... The other friends of Jesus here in the garden, they, they now want to fight. You look at verse 49, when, when those who were around Jesus, his, his disciples, saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. You know, obviously, that, that question right there, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? It was obviously just a mere formality because one of them didn't wait for an answer from Jesus just grabbed a sword and sliced a guy's ear off John 18 says it was Peter and the man who was now earless here was called Malchus and man don't you know don't you know that Malchus here was was very very thankful that Peter's profession was fishing and not fencing <laughs> Peter was probably aiming for the middle of his head, trying to split this guy in two, but wasn't all that great with the sword and just got his ear. And Jesus says in verse 51, no more of this. In Matthew 26, Jesus says right here, I could appeal to my father right now and he would send more than 12 legions of angels to help me, but how then would the scriptures be fulfilled? I don't need you, Peter, to defend me. I don't need you, Peter, to advance my cause through violence. I didn't come, Peter, to conquer in power. I came to conquer in weakness. And Luke tells us in verse 51 that Jesus then touched Malchus. And probably the blood streaming down the side of his head, his neck. Jesus touches him and heals them. The last healing we'll hear about here in the gospel. Man, you think about that Jesus. Even now, here at his betrayal, he loves his enemy. You know, it, it is the love of Jesus for his enemies that changes his enemies. Not the violence of Jesus for his enemies 
The love of Jesus for his enemies that changes his enemies, melts their hearts and turns them from enemies into friends. And you know, that may have happened with Malchus. Historical records indicate that Malchus may have later become a Christian. And if that is true, it was probably that right there. Jesus' love for Malchus, when Malchus was his hostile enemy, that changed Malchus's heart forever. And after, after healing Malchus, Jesus then he essentially just scolds the rest of his captors for treating him like some sort of violent revolutionary. <laughs> you look at verse 52 again. Jesus says, have you come out here as against a robber? With swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Do you really think that I'm some sort of robber? The Greek word could be translated as revolutionary or outlaw. Do you really think that I'm some sort of violent insurrectionist? Come on. Revolutionaries hide in caves and operate in secret. I've been living out in the open among you, teaching daily in the temple, never harming, only healing. Like now, you need swords and clubs? But this is your hour, Jesus says, and the power of darkness. Man, just again, you, you step back and look at that. You could just see this, this conflict here is not ultimately an earthly conflict between flesh and blood. It's ultimately a cosmic conflict between God and Satan, the powers of darkness. And Jesus knows here that for a time in this garden here, God his Father has permitted Satan, the powers of darkness, to work through these men. Because the Father's plan here is for Jesus, his son, to die. Hans Konzelman, he says, this hour was Satan's only because it was granted to him. For in the last resort, even Satan was only an instrument in God's plan. So that's this one friend we see here, Judas, the, the friend who betrays. And the second friend here is a friend who denies. You look at verse 54. Then, then they seized Jesus and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. So get the picture. Arrest Jesus. Now lead him down, back down the dark slope of the Mount of Olives, across the Kidron Valley, back into the city of Jerusalem, and take him into the high priest's house with Peter lurking behind in the shadows, like Gollum in the Lord of the Rings, hiding back there, following closely. The high priest at this time was Caiaphas, so this was probably his house. A house he may have shared with his father-in-law, Annas who had been the high priest before Caiaphas, and Annas was also called a high priest at this time, along with Caiaphas. The, the house had a, a, a courtyard, so an open sky above, probably a big courtyard surrounded by other buildings or, or just walls. It seems that some of the people in this arresting crowd here took Jesus into the house while the rest of the crowd remained in the courtyard. It also seems that there were maybe some household servants there in the courtyard. And as Jesus was rushed into this high priest's house in this flurry of activity, Peter slips into the courtyard and probably did his best then to blend in with the crowd there. Probably a decent-sized crowd. And Luke says that when the people had kindled a fire in the courtyard on what was probably a very cool mid-spring night, they sat down to warm themselves and Peter sat down among them, maybe pulling his, his outer garment close around his head and hiding his eyes as best he could, waiting to see what would happen to Jesus. And man, you, you, you look at this, you, you really do have to give Peter some credit here. I mean, this guy's showing some nerve right here. 
And this looks for a second like it could be one of Peter's better moments. Peter told Jesus earlier in this chapter that that he was ready to go with Jesus both to prison and to death. And, And he's doing fairly well here initially following Jesus into this courtyard. But man, all it takes here is just the tiniest bit of pressure and Peter caves repeatedly. You've heard the song before, once, twice, three times a lady. Well, this is once, twice, three times a denier for Peter here in the courtyard. In a matter of minutes, Peter does this. Look at verse 56. A, a servant girl, seeing him as they sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, this man also was with Jesus, but he denied it. Saying, woman, I do not know him. Man, all it takes, all it takes for for Peter, who was probably this burly fisherman, all, all it takes here for him to absolutely collapse like a house of cards is a young servant girl staring at him intently in the light of this fire. You know how uncomfortable it can be when somebody stares at you in public somewhere, how uncomfortable that can get when they just keep staring at you. Multiply that, I would imagine, by about a thousand right here. This is a hostile crowd. Peter knows they're probably going to kill Jesus. And this servant girl is now staring at him, locking eyes with him intently. Peter's anxiety increasing by the second, I would imagine. And she suddenly points at him and says, he was with Jesus. And instantly, Peter denies it. I do not know him. And he keeps denying you look at verse 58, a little later, someone else saw him and said, you, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. Matthew 26 says, Peter denied it this time with an oath. On God's name, man, I am not. And one more time in verse 59, after an interval now of about an hour, still another insisted emphatically saying, certainly this man also was with them, for he too is a Galilean. Matthew, Matthew 26 says that it was Peter's accent that gave him away here in this courtyard. During the, during the Latin American Wars of Independence, the Colombian soldiers could recognize the Spanish enemy soldiers by making them say the name Francisco. And those who pronounced it as Francisco were Spanish and were then thrown into the Magdalena River. And Peter's Galilean accent here would have been immediately recognizable to these people from Jerusalem would be like someone from North Carolina trying to hide in our crowd here and not give off any any sense that he was from another state. It's obvious. And this man here, he knows that Jesus' disciples for the most part were Galileans. He puts two and two together and he says, you, one of Jesus' disciples. And in verse 60, Peter says, man, I do not know what you are talking about. Mark 14 says that Peter now invoked a curse on himself and swore, bleepity bleep, bleepity bleep, bleepity bleep, I do not know him. Amen. Peter, whose name means rock, is now more like a jellyfish, a, a, a wet noodle in this courtyard. He crumbled. Absolutely crumbled, and Jesus knows it. You look at the middle of verse 60, and immediately, while Peter was still speaking, the rooster crowed. 
And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Peter went out and wept bitterly. And when Peter when Peter boasted earlier in this chapter that he was ready to go to prison and death with Jesus, Jesus told him, before the rooster crows, Peter, this day you will deny me three times, and Peter just did it. Some guards might have been moving Jesus at this time from one wing of the house to the other, or moving him from, one, from this house to a different house, or maybe they were just holding Jesus near this courtyard here, and Jesus hears the rooster crow. And catch the context here. Jesus is now in the most intense trial of his own life. May have already been beaten here to some degree, mocked to some degree. An intense, intense sifting and suffering for Jesus already at this point. But he hears the rooster crow and he thinks of his disciple. And Luke says that the Lord turned and looked. At Peter. Man. There's a man, Edward Ellis, he says, there's no phrase in the Gospels that is more charged with feeling than that right there. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. Gazing, man, gazing, I would imagine, into the very soul of Peter. And Luke says that Peter went out of the courtyard and he wept bitterly. Man, absolutely crushed, I would imagine, over what he had just done. Tears of shame, his weakness. Tears of grief over his utter failure in the moment of testing, sifting, leaving Jesus all alone. Man, in just a little over an hour now, Peter has gone from boldly wielding a sword in a hostile crowd to absolutely cowering in front of a servant girl, terrified for his own life, denying Jesus vehemently to save his own skin. And it's remarkable when you think about it. Judas was not the only friend here in this passage who abandoned Jesus when things got tough. Peter did too. Peter, in the heat of the moment here, faced here with the possibility of increased hardship, greater trials, difficulty, suffering, and possibly even his own death, he abandoned Christ. Peter got out while the getting was still good. Two friends... And, 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 you know, in, in some ways, their, their actions, their actions here were drastically different. But in other ways, their actions weren't that different at all. When, when you get right down to the brass tacks, both of these friends, when the, when the going got tough, when life with Jesus got hard, they failed and abandoned Christ. And listen. Every single disciple of Christ on this planet, every person in history who has chosen in some, at some point in life to follow Christ, every person in this room today who has chosen at some point to follow Christ, we have all done that to some degree. All of us. All of us at some point in time on our journeys with Christ, when things got hard and we were faced with increased hardship, Greater trials, difficulties, loss of reputation, maybe suffering, or maybe even our own death. We have all, at some point in time, failed and abandoned Christ to save our own skin. Maybe you just outright defiantly betrayed Jesus like Judas. You became disappointed maybe with Jesus. Made, made a decision to, to, to follow Jesus and, and then he turned out to be someone other than you thought he was. 
He, he didn't give you the great life you, you thought that he was going to give you. He didn't give you the job you wanted, the house you wanted. He, he didn't give you the relationship you wanted. Didn't, didn't make life easy for you. And at some point, you just gave up. You made a calculated decision to walk away. And you're, you're, you're here this morning maybe, but, but you're not here in your heart. In, in your heart, you're, you're, you're done. You're done. Your heart is done with Jesus. You just abandoned him outright. Or maybe, maybe you didn't make that calculated decision to, to abandon Jesus outright like Judas. Maybe you just abandoned Christ in the heat of the moment like Peter. All of a sudden, things got, got a little hot for you somehow. You were clicking along as, as a disciple of, of Christ. You, ready, you thought, to, to go to prison and to go to death uh, with Christ. And all of a sudden, a little servant girl stared at you. Maybe it was a, a co-worker on the job. Maybe it was... Some of your friends in a restaurant. Maybe it was your neighbors out in the front yard and you suddenly had this perfect opportunity to commend Christ. Tell people you were a follower of Christ. Stand up for the glory of Christ. And you flinched. You flinched. In the heat of the moment, you failed. And you abandoned Christ in that moment to save your own skin. All of us have made a decision at some point to follow Christ on our journeys with Christ when things have somehow gotten hard. We have all at times failed and abandoned Christ. We all have a little bit of Judas and a little bit of Peter in our hearts. All of us. And you know the really good news in this passage here? Is that there are not just two friends here. There are actually three. A friend who betrays. A friend who denies. But there is also a friend here who loves. A friend who loves betrayers. And deniers. A friend who loves sinners. And that's Christ. Jesus is a friend who loves those who betray him. Jesus has loved Judas from the very start here in this book. Jesus knew from the beginning Judas would betray him. And Jesus loved him anyway. Very well. Brought Judas into his inner circle of friends. He walked with Judas, talked with Judas. He lived with Judas, broke bread around the table with Judas. Even just a few hours before this betrayal here, Jesus broke bread with Judas one final time at the Last Supper. And then Jesus got down on his knees and washed his feet. Loving Judas all the way up to this betrayal. And loving Judas during the betrayal. You know, I think the last words Jesus ever spoke to Judas right here were words of love. Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? I think it was one final appeal from Jesus. I think probably trying to startle Judas into recognizing the blindness of his actions. Lovingly calling Judas to repentance. Loving, lovingly calling Judas to return to him. That moment. Alexander McLaren said, Thus to the bitter end, Christ, Christ seeks to keep Judas from ruin. And with meek patience. Christ resents not the humiliation of the kiss, but with majestic calmness 
sets before the miserable man the hideousness of his act. Judas, will you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? You know what Jesus calls Judas during the betrayal in Matthew 26? Friend. Friend. My close friend. Do what you have come to do. And even after this betrayal here, I think Jesus continued to love Judas all the way to Judas' death. Jesus is a friend who loves those who betray him. And Jesus is also a friend who loves those who deny him. Jesus has loved Peter from the very start also. Brought Peter into his circle of disciples, his closest circle of friends. Walked with Peter, talked with Peter, lived with Peter, broke bread with Peter. Washed Peter's feet. And Jesus loved Peter even during his denial here. You know, I've wondered so many times in my life about the look that Jesus gave Peter here. Try to picture it in my mind so many times. What, when Peter denied Jesus with cursing the rooster crows, their eyes connect through this crowd. What did Peter see in the face of Jesus Christ? Listen, if I, if I was Jesus here, and I had a friend who boasted in how much he loved me, he talked all kinds of trash about how he would follow me to death, and he abandoned me like this in my time of need, I would have given him a look too. A look that said, get away. You're no friend of mine. Get away from me. What did Peter see in the face of Jesus? I think it was love. I see you, Peter. I know that you just denied me. And I love you, Peter. I love you, Peter. I love you, Peter. I think it was love. And Jesus is, he's a friend who loves those who betray him, and he's also a friend who loves those who deny him. Jesus is a friend who loves sinners, period. He loves sinners. If you made a decision to follow Christ at some point, and you betrayed him outright, just sick of him. Jesus loves you. If you denied him, the heat of the moment, and every disciple has, Jesus loves you. Or if you've not even made any type of decision ever to follow Christ, Jesus loves you. A friend who loves sinners, period. A friend who died for sinners. That's what he's coming to do right here. He's heading to the cross to die for sinners. To take the punishment sinners like you and me deserve. He's heading to the cross to take the punishment that betrayers and deniers deserve. Because he loves sinners. It's who he is. A friend who loves betrayers and deniers. Man, the critical question today is this, I believe. How will you respond to the love of Jesus for you? How will you, how will you respond to the love of Jesus for you? Now, Jesus loves both Judas and Peter here. Even after their sins, I believe, loves both the, the, the betrayer and the denier, but they respond to that love in drastically different ways. You know, in one sense, they respond in the exact same way. Both of them responded with sorrow. 
Peter weeps here. An obvious sorrow over what he's done. I think that look of love from Jesus just crushed him. But man, Judas responds with a measure of sorrow too. Matthew 27, 3 says that when Judas saw that Jesus was condemned to die, he changed his mind. He brought the silver back to the religious leaders and he said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. Both Peter and Judas were were melted, I think, to some degree by the love of Jesus for sinners, and then they, they responded to that love with a measure of sorrow for their sin. But man, sorrow in and of itself is not enough. Paul talks in 2 Corinthians 7 about a worldly sorrow that leads only to death. You're sorry to some degree, but sorrow in and of itself is not enough. Now the thing that was drastically different here about the way these two men responded to the love of Jesus after they sinned, one of them returned to Jesus and the other didn't. One of them returned. He returned to Jesus in repentance and faith and he received the merciful forgiveness of Jesus. One of them returned to Jesus and received the love of Jesus for a sinner. And the other one tragically did not. And I think the love of Jesus, I think the love of Jesus was there for both men. Both Judas and Peter, it was there. The love of Jesus. I think Jesus was ready to forgive but only one of them returned and received that love and forgiveness. Judas was sorry for what he had done. He felt the guilt of his sin. But what did Judas then do? Man, he made a tragic mistake. He tried to fix his sin. He tried to undo what he had done. tried to give the money back. But man, you cannot unring a bell You cannot undo your wrong. You cannot fix your sin. And then then I think Judas gave in to despair. Probably probably stewed and wallowed in his guilt. Let the guilt eat him alive from the inside out. And then I think probably in a last ditch effort to silence his guilt, Judas hanged himself. The love of Jesus, I believe, was there. Even for Judas, up to the very Last second, Jesus ready to forgive. If Judas would have returned, asked for forgiveness, and Judas did not. Never returned, never simply returned in repentance and faith, never returned and received the love of Jesus. And by not returning to Jesus, Judas proved that he was never really a true disciple of Jesus. He was never really a true believer. Man, the only thing Peter did that was radically different than Judas was Peter returned. Similar type of of sin as Judas. Similar type of guilt as Judas. Also sorrowful like Judas, but it was a different type of sorrow. It wasn't a sorrow. It wasn't a worldly sorrow that led to death, 2 Corinthians 7. No, it was the other type of sorrow there. It was the godly sorrow that leads to repentance. Both sorrowful, little different type of sorrow there. And here's the thing, man. Peter didn't try to fix his sin. He didn't try to unring the bell. He didn't try to undo the wrong. Peter, Peter didn't wallow in his guilt and allow his guilt to eat him alive. Peter didn't try to silence his guilt in some way. No, Peter simply returned to Jesus. John 21, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, Peter's in a boat fishing, sees Jesus walking on the shore. Peter dives in and heads for Jesus. And I think that is a broken man returning to Jesus, a broken man coming back in repentance and faith, a broken, humble man returning, returning, returning to Jesus, receiving the love of Jesus. 
And man, Peter was restored. (laughs) Peter was restored. Jesus looks at him on the shore and says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you, Jesus. Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Then feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. You know everything. I love you. Then feed my sheep. Three times a denier. Three times restored by Christ. And by returning to Jesus, Peter proved that he was a true disciple of Jesus, a true believer. Listen, you have failed. You've failed. Doesn't matter who you are. You've failed. Even those of you who are disciples of Jesus, you failed many times as a disciple, betrayed Jesus, denied Jesus, abandoned Jesus at times to save your own skin. You're a sinner. Whoever you are, doesn't matter. And Jesus is a friend of sinners. A friend who loves sinners, a friend who loves betrayers and deniers, a friend who died for betrayers and deniers. And the $60 million question is, how will you respond to the love of Jesus for you? Do not try to fix your sin. If you're a disciple of Jesus and you sin badly this week, please do not try to fix your sin. You can't. Please don't wallow in your sin, it w- in the guilt of your sin. It will not help you. It will eat you alive from the inside out. Get up by the grace of God and go to Jesus. Go to Jesus, humble, broken. Go to Jesus in faith. And receive the love of Jesus for sinners. And that love for you will change you. Changed Peter. Failed like a wet noodle here and in the book of Acts he's strong as a rock. Threatened his own life and he says, I got to preach about Jesus. The love of Jesus for sinners is what changes sinners. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you, Lord, for your love poured out through Jesus, even to the worst of sinners. We do believe, Father, that Jesus did love Judas at that point. Father, your love for sinners. Father, we do believe that you're the only one that can give the gift of repentance and cause a man like Judas, cause a man like Peter to return in repentance and faith. And we ask, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you give that grace, that gift, and enable us, Lord, in our sins to return to Jesus in repentance and faith. In Jesus' name, amen.